What is fiduciary advice? That's the question. That's actually a great question. It's a question that I got this week uh, with a new client. She's an attorney. And so it was a great question from this new client. And I wanted to uh, answer the question, not just for my new client, but for any prospective clients in the future, but also for the folks who are listening to the podcast. I started to do a little research (laughs) and I started with Investopedia. So here's a little clip coming up about what Investopedia says in answer to the question, what is a fiduciary? But first, let me share kind of my agenda for uh, it's it turned into quite the agenda to answer the question, what is a fiduciary? I started with a little research. And like I said, I started with Investopedia, which is really my favorite place to go uh, when I have a question and I want a better answer than I can come up with from the top of my head. So uh, I also found this guy named Clark and I'm going to share his video. It's a really informative. I've never uh, met Clark. I just doing a little research. I found this video where he talks about uh, what is a fiduciary and a question, just like I got a question from a, a new client. He got a question on his podcast from someone who was uh, working with the financial advisor who was becoming a fiduciary. So you'll get to see that video. It's a, it's cool. I, I think Clark seems like a pretty cool guy. Uh, so, Hey Clark, if you're watching, I'm watching you too. I put you on my list of people to follow. So that's coming up. But also, I wanted to just go over a couple of things that came to my mind as I started to think about how do I answer the question, what is a fiduciary? And really, this is a question that every investor should be asking their financial advisor. And so I thought it would be helpful if I spend a few minutes and just answer that question Uh, from the perspective of a guy who is an independent fiduciary advisor at my firm, Bayrock Financial. I'm Jim Munchback, certified financial planner, and I'm host of this podcast, uh, the Missional Money Podcast. I'm also host of the Salty Advisor Podcast. And this episode, What is a Fiduciary, is going to be... uh, placed on both platforms, both podcasts, because it's a great question for us to think about if you're a do-it-yourself investor uh, or if you are a financial advisor. It's a good question to think about. And and it's really a great question to ask if you are an investor. The reality is most investors don't ask the question. Most investors don't really understand the... uh, the answer to the question. So if you Google what is a fiduciary, you're going to find a lot of links to a lot of companies that use that term to get you to click on their page. But once you click into their page and you find out that when you sign an agreement to start working with that company, uh, chances are you're not going to be getting a, a relationship that is a fiduciary relationship. Uh, relationship. When I say a relationship, let me explain what I mean. So I'm going to talk from, first I'm going to tell you my story. And my story will put this into context. So uh, I was the very first 
certified financial planner who worked for State Farm Insurance in the Houston area. So I was a State Farm agent in one of the richest zip codes in the country, 77062. My office was in Clear Lake, Texas. And I became a certified financial planner back in 2001 or so because I wanted to have the skills and the knowledge to provide something special for my clients. I wanted to be more than an insurance salesman. Well, it turns out that over time, State Farm, State Farm endorsed, they paid for my training. It was a, it was a great gig, I thought. I learned a ton. Uh, I developed skills that I really wanted to develop in terms of learning how to think like a certified financial planner, which was really really valuable to me, but mostly I wanted to be valuable to my clients. I worked with NASA astronauts. And so it looks like I'm getting a call from someone in Robert Lee, Texas. Sorry about that. I'm using my iPhone as a camera. So back to the question, what is a fiduciary? My story as a State Farm agent. So as a State Farm agent, I thought it would be a good idea to become a certified financial planner. And State Farm Corporate thought the same thing, as well as about 150 other State Farm agents across the country. We all signed up. I was the only one in the Houston area to become a certified financial planner. There was a fellow up in Lake Livingston who did the same thing, but that's a little bit outside of the Houston area. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway, it was a tragic decision on my part. And here's why. Doing financial planning, fee-based financial planning for clients when you're a captive insurance agent, it's just not a good business model. The tools that we had were clunky at best and the compliance, it was so outside of the box that there was just no way to do it efficiently and effectively. And besides that, would you want to work with a State Farm agent who's a captive insurance agent who gets paid to sell insurance? Uh, probably not. And that's what I ran into. My clients were pretty sophisticated and they had a lot of options. And I was just one of those options. And it really didn't work. But then turns out that the idea of being a fiduciary advisor turned into a huge problem for State Farm Insurance because here's why. If you're a consumer and you come to my agency and let's say you buy insurance and let's say that my team, my staff forgot to tell you that you needed flood insurance. Now that would never happen in my agency, I promise you, because flood insurance is something if you didn't buy it and you owned a home, I would tell you. I would be rude. I would say that's a dumb thing to do because I didn't want anybody to go out of my agency and not have flood insurance. And when we had Hurricane Harvey, you know, well, maybe you don't know, but a lot of folks really didn't have flood insurance, which is just dumb. So, but what if you needed a personal liability umbrella policy, a little more sophisticated, or maybe you needed disability insurance, or who knows what kind of gaps you may have had in your insurance policies, your insurance program, and my team didn't identify them. And so therefore, State Farm's fear was because you came to a certified financial planner to buy your insurance, you deserve a much higher level of expertise, which is why I wanted to become a certified financial planner in the first place. But there we are, State Farm decided that was too much liability 
for State Farm, and they decided to terminate. They didn't decide to terminate me. They came. My boss came to my office with a contract, with a letter, and he wanted me to sign saying that I would uh, give up my CFP designation. And I said no. And he said... He pulled out a document from legal, from corporate legal, that basically said, if the agent says no, terminate him on the spot. So imagine that after all that work and all that time to become a certified financial planner, to have your company tell you, if you don't give it up, you're going to be terminated. So I, I, I basically started a little shell company and moved my credentials off offline, basically. Uh, But at the end of the day, I decided to move on from State Farm because I decided I wanted to do financial planning and investment management, and I knew it would be a better gig for me to work on Wall Street. So I went to Morgan Stanley and worked in the wealth management department. I wanted to learn the secret sauce of wealth management, and I did. I learned I learned about investing from the best in the business. But what I also learned is that at Morgan Stanley and in any big bank on Wall Street, you're not allowed to be a fiduciary. Did you know that? Imagine imagine working with a financial advisor at a big bank like Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, UBS, uh, Merrill Lynch, my first advisor that I ever hired was in December of 2007. Imagine where the market was then. I hired a financial advisor and it was a disaster. He took my money, invested it in very aggressive mutual funds with very high fees. And I was a little bit ignorant thinking that my advisor would be taking care of me you know, giving me good advice, but instead I lost 40% of my my money in my accounts. And then my advisor invited me out to a trip on Clear Lake in his yacht. And guess who was with my financial advisor at Merrill Lynch in that trip with my wife? Beautiful day out on Clear Lake. Uh, it was the wholesaler that worked with Merrill Lynch to provide the mutual funds. And then the light went off for me. I understood that, in fact, my advisor told me that this wholesaler who represented the mutual fund company was paying the yacht slip fees for my advisor. My advisor lived on a yacht on Clear Lake, and it was a business expense that was paid for by the mutual fund company. And that's when I realized that's the reason that my advisor never suggested that we sell anything when the market started to tank because of the great financial crisis. So that's my experience on Wall Street as a client who expected that I was getting fiduciary advice, but I I was not. So I went to work on Wall Street to learn everything I could about investment management because I wanted to start my own firm, which I did in October of 2019. Bayrock Financial is an independent fiduciary advisor. We do financial planning and investment management. And so I wanted to be able to give the kind of advice that I expected when I hired an advisor. And I wanted to be a fiduciary. I did not want to have the pressure of selling something. I had that at State Farm. It's all about selling stuff, life insurance, investment products, 
insurance. You get, I got paid a commission. It was a terrible place to be a certified financial planner. And the same thing's true on Wall Street in spades. When I worked on Wall Street at Morgan Stanley in the wealth management department, I had more pressure to sell stuff than I've ever had in any job I've ever held. And I've been in sales since I was like 11 years old, and I've been very successful in sales. In each of my books, I admit that I am a recovering sales addict. I think sales is a great career, and it's a noble way to make a living, to know your product, to understand your clients' needs, and to represent your company in a way that lets their products and services meet the needs of your clientele. It's a good, it's a great way to make a living, but it's not a great way to make a living if you're in this business. If you have pressure to sell, if you're a financial advisor, and you have to sell to keep your job, that just jacks up the relationship big time. And that's why I wanted to start my own firm where I did not have the pressure to sell anything and I had the flexibility to make sure that my recommendations fit the best possible need of the client. So the best possible solutions and strategies for my clients without regard to how am I going to get paid. And so that's why this question, what is a fiduciary, is very important to me. And now here's the rest of the story. So I teach personal finance at the University of Houston at the Bauer College of Business. And I'm always working with young business owners who graduated from Bauer College of Business, the University of Houston. And they come to me with, you know, now they've got that job and they're making money or they got an inheritance or they got a liability suit, award, whatever, and they need financial advice. So I do a lot of financial coaching for free. That's not the same as being a fiduciary advisor. To to have a relationship with a fiduciary, you basically have to sign an agreement. You have to have an agreement in place that outlines the, the scope of services that you receive from that fiduciary. So my new client who asked the question, what is a fiduciary, opened up a whole bunch of other issues that I had to go through one by one. And that's what's on the agenda here is what is a fiduciary and how what does that mean to you as a prospective client, whether you're considering Bayrock, my firm or not, I want you as an investor to understand the answer to the question, what is a fiduciary? And so this post, I'm just telling you what I put together in my research. It is a lot of information and you can read it all at missionalmoney.com. Just search fiduciary. You will need to know how to spell fiduciary. And so you can also find it at Bayrock Financial and also at saltyadvisors.com. So I'm going to post this on all of my websites and I'm going to reference it on a regular basis moving forward. But in this, in this kind of this time that we're spending together in this video, I just want to say that there's a big difference between financial planning education and fiduciary advice. There's a big difference between financial coaching, which is something I do, I love to do, I'm always happy to do for family, friends, neighbors, anyone who is willing to take the time to reach out and ask for help. It reminds me of my relationship with my fitness coach. Now, when I work with my fitness coach, 
He asked me, he, he's a professional, and he's letting me work with him for free. His name is Justin. He does a great job. He's got great resources. Um, but he's also, even though he's not charging me a fee, he's asking me the same questions that he would be asking if he was charging me a fee. And he wants to know what medicine am I taking? What prescriptions do I have? Do I have any health issues? I mean, kind of personal stuff. And that's what happens when you come to me and you want my help. I have to know some things about you in order to do no harm. I call it wealth care. Wealth care is my profession. I can help you save more money, pay lower taxes, build a better retirement. I can help you create a holistic and compelling financial plan for your future that will get you from where you are to where you want to go. But I can't do that without asking you a lot of information. So whether I'm working with you as a coach or a fiduciary, I need to know some things about you. And so I've made my education very... Uh, the education that I provide, I've made it accessible through an online course called 30 Days to Make Your Money Count. I always want to say 60 days. It could be 90 days. It could be 365 days. But I'm giving the course away for 30 days, uh, 30 days to make your money count, with the hopes that you'll consider joining me with a $25 a month membership where you'll get all of the resources, including a premium financial planning portal where you can literally create a comprehensive financial plan, either through with me through coaching like we're doing now on this weekly Zoom meeting, uh, which is part of the lesson in 30 days to make your money count. So you may be inside the course watching this right now, getting the question answered, what is a fiduciary? I hope you'll join me next time because there was a lot in this question that I'm going to be covering in the future. Like, for example, uh, what is a fee structure? You can read about that in the article that I posted. <clears throat> but if you want to learn how do you how do you identify your risk tolerance? That's something I have to ask every client, whether you're a coaching client, a financial planning client, an investment management client. It's, some, it's free. It takes five minutes. It's a survey. It's really cool. You'll learn more about that next time. How do you do it? What is it? Why is it important? Risk tolerance. I call it Riskalyze. That's the name of the company that I use. It used to be their name. They changed their name. I forgot what their name is now, but it's a great tool. So the other thing is the intake forms that I use in my firm, I'm going to go over those so that you as an investor can learn how that should work for you, the kind of information you have to give to your financial advisor, whether they're a fiduciary, especially if they're a fiduciary, but even if they're just a financial advisor trying to sell you something, we all have a requirement to know your client. So there's an intake process. I want to show you mine. And I want you to see how it works so you can know what to expect if you hire me or if you hire someone else. And if you're a financial advisor, it'd probably be a good idea for you to have a really good process for client intake. So we're going to go over that in the future. Onboarding agreements. Uh, agreements are very critical. They're very legal. I'm going to share my agreements with you. And if you're a new client, like the one who asked the question this week, you will get to look at them, review them, and sign them if you want to work with Bayrock and with me. Uh, so another thing I'm going to go over in the next 
couple of weeks or maybe this week is advisor coordination. As a fiduciary, an independent fiduciary advisor, one of the things I believe should be part of everybody's financial planning process is advisor coordination because your family attorney isn't talking to your CPA and your CPA isn't talking to your insurance agent. Your insurance agent certainly not talking to your CPA or your family attorney. And none of those folks are talking to your investment guy and your investment guy is usually talking to himself. So advisor coordination really matters. I'm going to play now as I as I go off. As you watch, ask Clark. After that, I'm going to share just a little snippet from Abbott and Costello. It's it's an amazing piece. If you think about it, the, um, the amazing coordination that it takes for these two guys took, they're no longer with us, but the amazing coordination, the timing, the profession, the, I can't imagine how much time they practiced and rehearsed this gig to make it come off perfectly, but they did. But I use Abbott and Costello, who's on first, as a way to say, hey, what if your, what if in your financial plan, your, your family attorney and your CPA don't talk to each other, your insurance agent never talks to anybody on your financial team, and your, your investment advisor as well isn't talking to anyone on your financial advisory team. Advisor coordination really matters. Who's on first? So it's a so funny way to remember that it should be part of the financial planning process. And also, just think about this, a financial planning gap analysis. It makes sense to me that when we start out working together, if you really want to have a well-coordinated financial plan, part of the process should include upfront going through all of the essential elements of your financial life and making sure you don't have any big gaps. And that's one of the things I do, I try to do with every client. It takes time, but it's worth the time. Financial planning gap analysis, advisor coordination. These are part of the process at Bayrock. They're part of my process, and I think they should be part of every financial advisor's process. I think they should be advisor coordination and a thoughtful financial planning gap analysis. Those two things should be part of your financial plan. So if you're working with a fiduciary advisor, that's probably something they're doing. If it's not, send them over to Salty Advisors podcast or saltyadvisors.com where we do training for financial advisors. So thanks for watching. Enjoy what's coming. Margaret in Colorado is my friend and financial advisor, met and inform, met with me and informed me she and all the other advisors are being mandated to get a fiduciary license. Hallelujah. Because of this changeover, they will be going from charging fees to a cost of 1% of my conservative funds. I have three accounts with them, an IRA with a spouse benefit of around 100, and that's around 100,000, a Roth IRA, um, about 100,000, and a transfer on death at $126,000. I read your article on Clark.com titled, Should You Manage Your Own Portfolio? And it indicates that 1% is not outrageous. So do I stay with them or should I switch to one of your three favorites? And if so, which one? I'll be paying double what I was paying, approximately $1,500 in fees versus $3,000 if I'm charged 1%. Please help. All right. So how is it that you'll end up saving money paying more fees. 
Because when you're with a, a full commission stock brokerage, which this one historically has been, and now they're becoming a fiduciary relationship with you, they have historically put you in high-cost funds and high-cost investments because that made them the most money. Now, as a fiduciary relationship, their duty is to put you in things that have extremely low costs. The odds are what you'll save in commissions and ongoing embedded expense ratios in funds will be so much cheaper that you should end up with much more money down the road, even paying higher fees for advice than you were paying prior in what appeared to be direct commissions. Because what you're not seeing is all the embedded expenses in the things you're in. Now, the alternative, if you go to uh, Schwab or Vanguard, this is one that I'd say those two rather than Fidelity, because of the advice angle you want, you will pay lower fees significantly and you'll be in a fiduciary relationship. Uh, you would be eligible at Vanguard for Vanguard's PAS, Personal Advisory Service, and your fees would be 0.30 of a percent. And you'd be getting the advice and guidance and placement and funds. So it would potentially be a much cheaper choice for you. Your accounts are larger than what I would recommend for Schwab's intelligent portfolios, but you could look at the other advice offerings from Schwab. I would say in your case, if you're looking at the alternative, it would likely be Vanguard would be the best move for you. And what is a transfer on death account? Is that like some kind of insurance thing? No, it's where the money, it's like, um, uh, let's say... Uh, you own an account and you decide at time of you of your death that I'm going to be the beneficiary and it becomes my account. Right. So it's just like probably just money that has I, been I, saved. I've never heard it referred to as transfer on death. I've always heard of it as beneficiary designation. Okay. Friends, I told you that my partner would be here and here he is. Didn't we expect him, did you? Now, he always shapes up. Now, why not let the folks themselves ask for something that they like to hear? All right, what would they like to hear? I'll something different. Now, okay. is there anything special that you would like to hear us do? Baseball. Any, oh, uh, baseball. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Wait a minute, friends. You don't want to hear that, do you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we got the props for you here. Oh, you uh, came prepared, didn't you? All set, huh? <laughs> well, this is a must. I guess it's a must. We've got to do it. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let me see. It looks all right. Okay, all right. Now, we'll pretend. We'll just pretend. All right, I'll take it easy with that. We'll just pretend that uh, we're organizing a baseball team here at the retired actor's home. And I am the manager. Now, you're going to be the manager of the retired actor's baseball team? Yes. I would like to join the retired actor's baseball team. Oh, you would? And I would like to know some of the guys' names on the team, so if I want to play with them, I'll know them, and I'll meet them on the street or in the home here, I can say hello to them. Oh, sure. But you know they give baseball players nowadays very peculiar names. You know, a lot of funny names. You know, like uh, Sticky Stick Fields. Sticky Fields. Uh, Goofy Dan. Booby Bobber. Booby Bobber. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> well, let's see now. We have on our team, we have who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find and out, then, the guy's name. Uh-huh. That's what I want to find out, the guy's name. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Now, Abby, you want to be the manager of the baseball team? Yes. You know the guy's names? Well, I should. Well, now you tell me the guy's names on the baseball I team. I say, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You ain't saying nothing to me yet. Go ahead and tell me. <laughs> I'm telling him. You said nothing yet. Go ahead and tell me. Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know. Is on third. You know the guy's I'll... names on the baseball team. Yes. Well, go ahead. Who's on first? Yes. I mean the guy's name. Who? The guy playing first. Who? The guy playing first base. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? What are you asking me for? I don't know. Now, wait a minute. I'm, not... I'm asking you who's on first. That's his name. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. That's it. <laughs> That's his name. Well, you ain't said nothing. I ain't asked you nothing. You did. You know the guy's name on first base. Sure. Well, tell me the guy's name on first base. Who? <laughs> the guy playing first base. Who is on first, Lou? What are you asking me for? Now, don't get excited. I'm saying who. I'm asking you a simple question. Who's on first? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. That's it. That's who. <laughs> yeah. I'm asking you, what's the guy's name on first oh, base? Oh, no. What's on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. <laughs> don't mix up my. I'm story. not mixing up anybody. Now, what's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. He's on third. We're not talking. <laughs> Wait a minute, whoa. How did I get on third base? You mentioned his name. I mentioned his name? Yes. I don't know anybody's name on the team. I, uh, how could I mention a guy's name? You did? You just mentioned it. All right, what's the guy's name on third base? No, what's on second? Who's on second? Who's on first? I don't know. He's on first. <laughs> I didn't even mention a guy's name on third base. Yes, you did. Not. All right, then who's playing third base? No, who's on first? I'm not asking you what's on first. What's on second? Who's on second? Who's on first? I don't know. He's third base. Third base. Third base. Third base. I don't know anybody on a baseball team. You do? You mention their names. I do? Sure. You got an outfield? Well, naturally. Tell the field his name. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just thought I'd ask you. I just thought I'd ask you. Well, I just thought I'd tell you. Well, go ahead. Tell me. Tell you what? Tell the field his name. Why? Because I want to know. Because. Oh, he's center field. You know these players as well as I. Who's in center field? No, who's on first? What's on first? What's on second? I don't know. Third base. <laughs> on the team. Look, Louis, uh, you don't seem to understand. See, I have a first baseman. You, I know you got a first. Gets his, I ask you, gets what's, what's the first, I ask you, what's the first baseman's name? No, what's the second baseman's name? I, I'm going to stop asking you, sir. I ask you, what's the first baseman's name? What's the second baseman's name? I don't even get past the first. All right, who's on second? Who's on first? What base do you want to talk about? You talk about anyone you want to talk about. All right, now who's on first? Right. Okay. No. No, no, no. <laughs> All right, you got a first baseman. Yes. When you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. <laughs> every dollar of it. Who gets it? He does. Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Whose wife? Yes. <laughs> Why not, Lou? He's earned it. Who did? Yes. <laughs> Look, when you pay off the first baseman every month, you get a receipt from the guy? Sure. How does he sign his name? Who? The guy you give the money to. Who? The guy you give the money to. <laughs> Well, that's how he signs it. That's how who signs it? Yes. Go ahead, tell me. That's it. Who? <laughs> Look, you go to first base. Yes. And you say to him, here's your money, sign the receipt. How does he sign his name? Who? The guy you give the money to. That's how he signs it. That's how who signs it? Yes. Sure. <laughs> you got to get a receipt from the guy, don't you? Get one, Lou. How does the guy on first base sign his name? Who? The guy on first. That's how he signs it. I'm asking. When you give the guy the money, what's the guy's name that you give the money to? No, wait a minute. What signs his own? Who signs his own? No, who signs his? <laughs> I mean, what's the guy? 
first name on first, you get What is on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. Third base. <laughs> Today's catch. Now you've got it. Now I got it. All I got, we got a couple of days on the team. That's I all. I can't help that, Lou. I don't. You know, I mean, I'm a pretty good catcher myself. And so they tell me. Yeah, now I get behind the plate and I'm going to do some fancy catching, and tomorrow's pitching on my team, right? Yeah. Now tomorrow he winds up the ball and I'm behind the plate and the heavy hitter gets up. Yeah. Now the heavy hitter gets up and, he, and he's ready to hit the ball and tomorrow's going to throw the ball and I'm the catcher. Mm. Now I'm going to try. Tomorrow throws the ball, a guy up bunched the ball. Now when he bunched the ball, me being a good catcher, I want to throw the guy out of first base, so I pick up the ball and throw it to who? Now that's the first thing you've said right. I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Stop. I mean, he didn't... 